You're listening to Living on the Edge, a weekly news podcast with a focus on edge, cloud, and mobile, featuring thoughts and analysis of these issues and more by tech industry veteran, the CEO of Mobile Edge X, Jason Hoffman. I'm Dan Benjamin, your co-host. If you'd like to share your thoughts and feedback about this or any of our episodes, please visit livingontheedge.show. There's a contact link you could use there. Send your questions, comments, feedback, and we would love to receive it. Jason, how you doing? I'm doing great, Dan. How are you? It's a good. It's a good day. It's a good day to be alive. I think it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, is there a bad day to be? I, I, I don't know. I guess the worst. I, yeah. There's no good answer to that. There's no good answer to that. No. So uh, you, to you've been busy over jokes. there, but you're making a little bit of time <laughs> to do uh, to do this show. I appreciate that. We got some news to cover that I uh, I think you'll I, I mean, you'll have it, some thoughts about. I mean. Honestly, uh, reading about everything in this space, understanding it, talking to people about it, mm-hmm. that uh, is an important part of my job. That's what you do. I mean, you live this. You live it. You breathe it. I you wake it. up in the morning and the, like you, oh, yeah. you sit up in bed from a complete, yep. a dead sleep. You sit up fully awake and you're like yeah. magic quadrant for cloud infrastructure and platform services. I got it. This is troubling me. And then you go off and well, you that, do your That's you a do poor example, thing. but Yeah. Largely live and breathe. Yeah, it's never. I never get excited about magic quadrants. No. What about no. like um, base station on a chip stuff? Five G base stations oh. on a chip. Well, uh, you know, I, I've known I've known the the founder and CEO of EdgeQ for quite some quite some time. At least at least from back when he was working on uh, all the data center chips at Qualcomm. Mm. Uh, before that, so. I'm a. I mean, we we've talked about system on chip and mm-hmm. yeah. It was like last episode and, you um you explained that I think. Yeah, and they and they they finally gotten their chips back and they've tested them and they're doing great and they've uh, did a tremendous amount of press in the last week. Um, and uh, I think it's uh, uh, besides besides being uh, <coughs> I don't want to say once and. Once in a decade, once in twenty years, type of company, uh, in my opinion. But they've uh, launched a really cool ass chip. I mean, the there are so many benefits. I was as I was reading this article. You can find all the articles on um, Living on the Edge show. Uh, yeah. But basically, they made this base station. It can be deployed as a system on a chip platform. It reduces the time and effort that providers of wireless networks need to create physical layer software. Yeah. And basically, they can just drop this thing into place. It's cheap. It just works. Like that's the dream, right? Yeah, but it's, I mean, a lot of a lot of the base station stuff, and, and this is both. Uh, I mean, technically, this chip could do a base station, and it could do the client. Meaning, mm. but um, but that client space is so dominated by you know Qualcomm and Samsung. It's it's a very difficult space to get into. But when you look at typically constructing a base station, uh, it's a system. Uh, meaning that it's like a server that you're putting a bunch of stuff into. And right. as you know, the system on chip type designs are, let's put all that on a chip. And so on this chip is um, a baseband processor that's got the full RISC-V uh, instru- instruction set architecture and mm-hmm. then a lot of even uh, custom things. It's got an eight-core ARM chip uh, sitting there. Um, you know, It's got, of course, all the stuff you basically need to boot and connect to PCIe and USB and Ethernet and everything else. And then it's got in uh, layer two and layer three, you know, accelerator. 
you know, and then it's also got a full forward error correction uh, engine and, uh, you know, everything you need from a processing perspective for 4G, 5G and, and uh, you know, which is more WLAN, interesting to you, Jason, the, the technology that goes into radio, this or the economic a, impact a, that, that this might have? Because linked in this article, yeah, both. Uh, IHS both. market report both. forecasting global 5G technology will enable yeah, 13.2 trillion in economic yeah. output through 2035. Well, I don't know. I mean, that's a little... That seems <clears throat> high. Uh, the size of the market it, well, for 5G like infrastructure being reported at uh, approximately 10 billion. You know what I mean? Like it's like coming up with a TAM for water. How how, how big is water going to have an impact in the world? Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's a it's a super cool chip. And then you know, even though it's not, um, um, you know, in a few of the pictures, they always talk about that it's got um, you know five G and AI and you know a network processing unit and a CPU. So it's got you know a lot of the math that you do for. Uh, 5G optimization is the same as the math you do for AI. Uh, it's a cool-ass chip. It's a cool, cool, cool chip. And it reduces uh, latency, and reduces power consumption, which is great because I think yeah. a lot of the use cases are battery-operated, right? Yeah, I mean, most people right now will go and construct, you know, either, a, you know, the kind of um, client-side device that sits at, at, at home or they'll go and construct a base station or a Wi-Fi hub or something like that and they're you know a relatively custom constructed system you know or you know you go along to uh you know like an intel and you do quote unquote flex ran which is largely taking a server and putting a bunch of pcie cards in it and other sort of things on the board and you know you go and sort of construct construct a system these guys have stuck it all on a chip so you have a lot of form factor possibilities you have a lot of thermal possibilities uh you have a lot of degree of weatherization uh, possibilities. You end up on a totally different unit economics. Um, you end up with a lot of these things being enabled in uh, software. So, um, you know, you imagine if you go and you go and deploy out like a Wi-Fi network, but then you ping them later and go ahead and get a software upgrade to being able to do five G too. But you that's know, amazing. Gets, I, I mean, it, it's a uh, they've really done a a super cool job, uh, in my opinion, um, and I'm really looking forward to. Um, seeing how this chip changes the space, seeing how it can show up in you know other form factors that we can basically use. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of cool use cases on the operator side too, as far as you know what happens when you have um, all these accelerators and 5G capabilities and AI capabilities all sort of wrapped up together. Um, and you know what does that mean? That's it's 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 cool stuff cool stuff. The next article that I have here for us to talk about is uh, Juan Carlos Garcia Lopez talking about hyperscalers versus carriers. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I thought this was really interesting. Again, I'm, I'm still learning about some of the nuances of this space. And um, it, it's really interesting to me because there are so many different levels of it. There's the software, there's the hardware, there's the infrastructure. And there's real estate, there's regulatory right. angles, yeah, there's a lot of things, yeah. Um, so, I mean, they're talking in this uh, article about, it, which is more of an interview about Telefonica um, yeah. and, and the future of telcos. And I was curious what you might have thought about that, is talking about like how telecom operators play a role as ICT well, service I mean, providers. I, I think, you know, I think Telefonica... Um, 
of which I mean, I've, I've, I've worked with them across, you know, the last three or four companies and uh, Juan Carlos in particular is functioning very much as the, um, you know, sort of thoughtful, you know, thoughtful proponent of what operators need to be doing. Uh, and, uh, you know, Telefonica has, you know, a, a lot of similar capabilities as a Deutsche Telekom or, you know, a Telstra, you know, these operators that actually still have uh, physical assets. I mean, whether it be central offices, aggregation nodes, cell sites, transport hubs. And, um, you know, Telefonic was an early adopter in cloud. They were an early adopter in NFEI. Uh, you know, we've been working... Uh, closely with them inside of, you know, the GSMA's uh, Telco Edge, uh, you know, cloud-type offer. I mean, I, I think Juan, Juan Carlos is also, I mean, he's a very, you know, I mean, in a lot of ways, you know, thank, thank God Juan Carlos is around because, uh, you know, he's, he's probably one of the most vocal proponents out of an operator of the way forward that operators need to be going. So one thing that has kind of jumped out at me, it's, it's almost like a throwaway comment kind of at the end of the article um, where he talks about, I guess, some of the, the future, the mm -hmm. edge cases that he sees. He mentions drone swarm management, which is cool, but he also says holographic video conferencing. Yeah. I just sort of throws that in there. Is that something that like we're going to see sometime soon? Like holographic video conferencing is people coming. Are, like, people, is that a thing? Are, people are trying to do it. You know, like you sit at the chair and all the other chairs are full. I mean, just, I mean, people yeah, are trying to make like, star Wars stuff, uh, star Wars stuff, but, but also, um, you know, um, um, God, what the hell's the, uh, What, what what's the uh why am I uh, blanking on this? What's the one what's the one movie with the uh you know the British spies? Uh James Bond. No, the other one, King something. Oh uh the I'm blanking on the second half of that word. Kingsman. Thank you. It's a little bit like the Kingsman. You know, they all do like the holographic thing around the conference table. Yeah, yeah just like people that. Are trying to do that. Yeah, people are trying to do that. And I think it's that's pretty cool. I, th I think, isn't it? I mean, I thought it was. I mean, if it's done well, I mean, you know, if, you know, a lot of these, um, you know, a lot of that sort of gets lumped up into what I talk about as these like multi-display, multimodal, collaborative, social type experiences that people are looking for. Um, you know, if one can do a good high resolution holographic video conferencing where mm -hmm. it feels like you're there. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. By all means, you know, but it is, uh, it is one of those use cases that don't exist right now that people would like to make it exist. And if they did, people would find it cool. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. So yeah. the, uh, the European commission has published a study about the future of 5G supply ecosystem in Europe. So in this scenario, basically they're saying network virtualization and uh, disaggregation of software and hardware is going to change the landscape for network equipment and for deployment and service provision. This is all happening in, in the long term. 
They've got open RAN architectures, interface, gain momentum. I mean, explain all this to me Why in this article. Why is this uh, so important? Why is this study something that well, so many have, people are interested in? Well, you have, I mean, in, right? you know, but, but both in the case of, you know, the EU, but also then, say, the FCC in the United States is, uh, you know, the government agencies always tend to, uh, you know, like, the FCC, for example, you know, you know, I think we, we talked about in a previous episode, you know, um, put out, you know, the coverage map um, of, uh, you know, all the operators together. You know, they'll put out price catalogs of the parts, uh, you know, in that. They'll go have position pieces of what the health of the supplier ecosystem looks like um, and, you know, everything else. I'd say the... Um, you know the big the big thing here is that you know there's largely you know the 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 market has three players in it and it's Ericsson, Nokia, Huawei, uh, you know in there, and so of course the competitiveness of uh, you know the unit cost of infrastructure comes down to how that supply chain looks, largely right, mm-hmm. uh, and of course. Uh, regulators have a big role to play here because, um, yeah, I mean, for example, the, the the National Telecommunications Act that Bill Clinton signed back in 96 in the right. United States literally led to, in my opinion, it led to the eradication of U.S.-based vendors in this space. It, it is that body of legislation that... Um, played a role in that. And so, you know, regulators can go and mess stuff up. Um, and, uh, and uh, you know, so for example, if Ericsson and Nokia are both headquartered in the EU, um, then, you know, it's probably a good idea that the, the EU make sure that those guys have appropriate market share and they're uh, healthy suppliers because, um, you know, it's not, it's not like a given. Uh, and then what you have in the case of Open RAN, where there's attempts to, you know, break up this base station into, you know, getting something that's, uh, you know, um, a system that's made in Taiwan with this open piece of software, with this chip from here, with these types of things, uh, you know, Open RAN uh, ideally is supposed to create a greater diversity of vendors in the space. Um, and, uh, so, you know, it's referred to in that report as a quote unquote game changer. Uh, but as you know, um, games aren't always good. <laughs> you can have, right. uh, you know, it's a little bit like a dream. So is it like a good dream or is it like a nightmare? Uh, and, uh, you know, but, um, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty normal. I mean, all, all regulators, uh, write studies like these, the studies meant to look at the market up to 2030. And uh, it's meant to just talk about you know what what five G what five G means and looks like and how healthy is the supplier ecosystem and and, and look the um, the importance of this is that um, you know, the regulatory environment that you sit in um, is important when it comes to radio access networks much more so than a lot of other infrastructure. Well, like, uh, you know, you mentioned that, that leads nicely into this acquisition. Um, Japan's, you, you told me I'm supposed to say Rakuten. 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 
Rakuten oh, Group. They have acquired the U.S. company that ran uh, Altio Star for more yeah. than a billion dollars. And this is going to expand on their already established financial partnership between them. They already had it. Yeah. And um, now they're going to have a lot of, well, they've been already working internally, apparently, according to this article, toward creating an open RAN ecosystem. And now they have mm-hmm. Altio Star and uh, they buttoned this thing up, right? They tied it up and um, they're yeah, going to, I mean, all, you know, what's all, the story? All, yeah. No, nah, I mean, Altio, it's, it's, uh, again, I think the overall thing is, is the telecom space, the vendor community went under a great degree of consolidation with 4G. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had, you know, the, the, the suppliers had to do that because it's very difficult to be a supplier at operators is it's like one of these spaces where being a startup is not necessarily a good idea. You know, you're not going to raise money on Sand Hill road. Uh, you know, you're going to be dealing with three, five, seven, 10 year adoption cycles. It's, it's non-trivial, you know, Altio star at least was one of those rare, uh, startups that were doing things in the RAN space and them getting picked up by Rocketan at least gives them a bit of hope in being able to compete. You know, you at least have, uh, you know, an anchor customer, you have um, a larger group there that can help, you know, fund it and finance it. You know, there's some sort of hope in there. So, you know, it's good. I mean, the overall thing is... Anything that, you know, creates uh, a high quality, robust, and diverse supply chain is a good idea. Sounds like it will, do, it will do that. Finally, you know, the article that I think you've been waiting for, Magic Quadrant, <laughs> for cloud infrastruction on, platform services. So the worldwide consolidation that, that's happening is a result of what? Enterprises that are seeking industrialized offerings, right? Um, and and that's that's what's kind of leading yeah, to yeah, this. In the magic quadrant, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the magic quadrant for cloud infrastructure and platform services. I mean, and when I say we used to be on it, you know, meaning that, uh, you know, I mean, in the joint days, we were usually in the visionary or challenger mm-hmm. quadrant on there. And, you know, there were, there were, it was typically capped at 15 companies back then and then went through some different names. But now it's, you know, Amazon, Microsoft, Google, Alibaba, Oracle, Tencent, IBM. Uh, it's, it's seven companies. And um, <clears throat> candidly, I don't, you know, Alibaba and Tencent are on there, but, um, you know, outside of China, they're not discussed, you know, very often. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you notice there's no challengers. You know, the way these magic quadrants work, is niche means, you know, you have a relatively small, not necessarily a small customer base, but you have this customer base that knows you well. And it means that you're not leading from a technology development perspective. You're just doing what you need to do for your customers. And you're not leading from a go-to-market perspective. You know, like you're not broadening out from that. And, you know, Oracle's a good example where I'm sure most people on the Oracle cloud are Oracle customers in some way, shape, or form. They're not necessarily going and grabbing market share from an Amazon. Um, 
well, maybe maybe they can show an example or two of that, but it's not this this you know like snowballing on unmistakable momentum type type feeling. Uh, and I'm sure that from a um, you know feature development and new services and the like, they don't have the same you know momentum that an Amazon has. Uh, so people that are niche tend to be that. And uh, I'm sure that, you know, Tencent does a lot of things around the Tencent ecosystem. You know, IBM's largely around servicing and keeping, you know, some percent of your IBM customers, you know, Oracle's around that. Um, And then the interesting thing, though, around the Magic Quadrants are when they start distinguishing between challengers and visionaries. Um, the, The distinction there basically is visionaries have at least um you know s- something in the technology space that's interesting and there's only one in there which is Alibaba challengers are really going after it from a go to market perspective like i was super happy you know after a few years in the visionary part of the magic quadrant when joint crossed over into challengers cuz i was like okay that means that we have go-to-market momentum and everything else. And if we just get these wins and do this and ship a new service, we can like shift into, you know, leaders, you know, in the case of leaders, um, you know, these guys are just sort of crushing it out. And uh, it means they got a good solid go-to-market and they're, they're pushing things quite, quite well from a technology perspective. And, uh, you know, you see Google, Microsoft, Amazon are the three in there. Uh, Those will stay the three. Um, you know, for quite a while. I mean, Amazon, it's funny because I also remember the one Magic Quadrant, I think it was 2011, 12, or 13, one of those ones where Amazon scored off so high. They had to, I mean, they almost had to put the Magic Quadrant in a logarithmic scale so that you could distinguish <laughs> between the other points. I mean, they were just fucking crushing it. And, uh, but, um, it's funny to see because there used to be 15 companies on there. Uh, they changed every year. They sort of like would move around and everyone's doing stuff. Uh, and then it's just, it's just this now. Yeah. Well, it's funny, you know, I don't know if I was an Amazon, I'd feel really satisfied about. Yeah. I mean, shit, I used to make, I used to make fun of them. 14, like 15 years ago about like who, who, who wants to buy, who wants to buy computing from a bookseller? Mm-hmm. I used to say stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I was wrong. <laughs> so, um, in this next article there, it, there was a new study that was done. Well, it wasn't mm-hmm. as much of a study as it was like a survey. And this is from STL partners. And they um, asked a hundred key individuals from telecoms operators globally about questions like, how are you pursuing automation? Okay. Uh, and things like that. And they, they did 15 leading operators and they have a set of recommendations for telcos that uh, should help them define their automation strategies. The report is called Prioritizing Automation, Creating a Successful Building Block Strategy. I did not read it, uh, but yeah. I, I know uh, the summary of it. And one of the interesting things is that 70% of the respondents stated that they intend to move beyond providing basic connectivity and are seeking new opportunities for revenue growth, which makes sense. But also what's yeah. interesting is that telcos are trying to uh, use things like 5G and edge computing to offer new solutions to customers. Um, but 
network but, and service automation, they say, is like the key enabler for all telcos. Uh, yeah. So what how, what does that look like? What does automation look like in, in the B2B2X space? You know, the, cha- the challenge with it is, uh, e- even in those kind of studies that you do with operators, I, I'm not going to make a big, long statement about it, but one of the challenges you have in those is, you know, is there really an average operator? Right, what would that be? Is there one that yeah. you could think well, of? Well, because what I mean average? about it is, is no, because what I mean about that is, you know, AT&T is probably in a different spot than Verizon, which is in a different spot than Telus, which is in a different spot than Vodafone, which is in a different spot from Deutsche Telekom, and which is in a different spot from China Mobile. Um, and then, um, so, uh, you know, operators... Uh, from an automation story, you know, you end up, you end up having these these other sort of choices of what exactly are we going to automate here? Are we going to automate something that is appropriate for everybody, or is this a an issue that's specific to us? And if it's specific to us, is it specific to us for good reason? Uh, you know, versus like you're trying to automate a a previous bad decision you made. Uh, you know, that you shouldn't have that system at all or you shouldn't have this at all or you shouldn't do that kind of thing. Um, you know, so automation tends to be a, a very difficult thing to talk about from a general perspective um, when it comes to what to do mm. exactly and how to do it. Mm-hmm. But of course, the idea that it needs to be automated is obvious. Of course it needs to be automated. You know, the, the if, if everybody's transforming into quote-unquote digital there's a very concrete way to say that you've done that, and that is that everything is being done by discrete, high-quality bodies of software that don't involve people in as you know few things as possible, uh, aka automation. Um, but um, you know, sort of, it's, it's sort of writing that software and what that looks like is. But but I don't know. I mean, there's nothing. Like I said, a, a lot of those kind of reports they sort of come together in the sense of okay, well, these are like common issues and these are some commonalities. But you still head into each and every operator and sort of what you look like when you head into the details of what it is that is actually there and what truly are we trying to automate? You know, across sort of like what type of layer and what's sort of the purpose there. Uh, I think the the space the space overall almost all of that work is done um, in an outsourced way. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, meaning there's the, some prime integrator. The article here kind of breaks it up into like network operations and service operations. Yeah, but what I mean by this is you know how you you run off to like a Google and you can go and talk to Google product people and then go talk to the engineers that are building their products and then sure. go talk to engineering and do all that, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, it doesn't really exist at operators anymore. So, you know, you don't necessarily go to an operator and you say, okay, here's literally 2,000 people that work there that are responsible for all the automation suite that's doing X. They're, they're still tending to, to buy those things uh, or to do a system integration project or to do a custom development or, you know, to go hire. And that's where you'll go. You go to a given operator like an AT&T and you look around and there's 5,000 Wipro people that are there. So... So I think, you know, that, that ends up, and, and, you know, the funny part about it is 
when you do, in a lot of ways, when you do automation that way, you end up with something that just gets the project done versus something that was good. And that's but, not, that's yeah. not the ideal. No, it's never the ideal, but you, but you know how like big, big software projects aren't easy. <laughs> they never have been. No, they never have been. And the bigger, the, the tougher they are. Now it's, we can talk for a second though about systems of systems though. Right. Um, mm-hmm. which is uh, actually our next article too. Uh, which I thought this article was pretty interesting because they're talking about system of systems and the, the um, venture beat calls it the next big step for edge AI. And what's really interesting about this is that, you know, as the article goes on to explain, you've got IT networks, you've got manufacturing, you've got physical security, HVAC, transportation, lighting systems, just for examples. And these have all maybe within the concept of lighting systems or manufacturing, there will be communications protocols that might interoperate with one another, but they're not designed to talk outside of what they are. In other words, the IT networks are not talking to physical security or to HVAC or to lighting systems. They're all separate. And so I guess the theory is that uh, systems of systems is going to provide a superstructure and somehow the AI will coordinate and aggregate data processed from these different systems together, which sounds uh, cool, but yeah, I mean, what is that? How does that benefit us? What what is the takeaway? Yeah, I I mean the you know the system of systems is a um um you know meaning like it's it's sort of a you know there's systems engineering and you sit around and say okay there's system of systems and and you you could go and do um you know looking at you know, each each sort of system that you have, think of it as a pool of resources and capabilities. And then there's the whole question of how all these things actually then interact and assemble together into a larger quote unquote system. Um, I mean, there's a, there's a science one can go and do beyond that. Um, and, uh, you know, but, but it's a, I mean, I think there's a better way to think about it than this. And, and, the, and the reason why is because a lot of people I find have a hard time doing multi-dimensional matrix analyses and, uh, you know, dependency analysis and, you know, the, the, those types of things where you begin to start saying, well, you know, if we have each of these systems across each of these, then, uh, you know, it all comes together in a bigger, more complex system. And what does that look like? Uh, you meaning is no different than describing that you know you as a human as a system of systems, right? You have literally your repair system, you have your energy system, mm-hmm. you have a bunch of systems you could go and describe, and and all of them in a very complex way make you this living thing, uh, you know, do that. Um, I think a different way to think about this is um, more from a what exactly is the application trying to do and how are application patterns changing, um, you know, versus like the past. And I'd say that, 
you know, there is the element of applications being very service oriented and you having to interact with a lot of different services and APIs and that. But, you know, a lot of what's shown up are pipeline style APIs and pipeline services. So a lot of the AI applications, if you sort of go and say not what what are you doing from a technology perspective, but how how you know what has changed that's making us do do it this way? Um, shifting to a very you know data centric type mindset, where you're saying what data do we have? What importance of it you know is it to us? What ex- how, how can we go and use our proprietary information to go optimize something, care for something better? You know the, 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 these types of things. So when you start thinking in a very data-centric way and you start addressing the question of, well, how do you do things better, um, then that's where you know, machine learning and AI techniques show up. But there's no AI that you can do without data, right? So the, the, the thing that feeds into that is data. Um, and so when you start looking at data-centric type applications... This data is always going through a pipeline type design. Um, now, if you just start, and a, and a good example of this is like when we've talked about, well, you know, a device goes and talks to an edge, which goes and talks to a cloud. We need embedded application capabilities in all three of those because all three of them, if they don't surface that up, you can't build a pipeline on top of it, right? I mean, it's no different than saying that you're going to build a pipeline that has to go over, you know, the Grand Canyon. <laughs> right. Right. So you're sitting there and saying, okay, well, how, you know, there's nothing underneath to support it. Um, but if you filled the Grand Canyon up, then you could go do that. You know, and so in a lot of ways, Edge is meant to be this application environment that gets surfaced up. So you can build this pipeline on top of it. Now, when you go to other systems where you say, okay, well, you could think of it as here's your machinery, here's your IT networks, here's your this, here's your HVACs, you know, whatever it is. The question really is, for the system that you're talking about, is there an embedded application environment that surfaces up the capabilities so that I can assemble this all together in a cohesive pipeline, which then I can run applications that have a pipeline design on them, in them, you know, of them, uh, and pipeline designs are literally how all AI apps are done. And then what comes into the other end of what comes into one end of the pipeline is all your data. And what comes out the other end is insights that let you do things better. That's it. Uh, and, I, and I think that's, um, to me, a more intuitive way of thinking about it uh, than to dredge up some system engineering you know, graph of, you know, blah, 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 kind of crap. Right, and right. Talk about all this stuff. It's it's very like, you know, uh, go talk to, you know, Northrop or MITRE or BAE or one of these guys and, you know, that love doing systems language of something and draw a picture like that. That means this kind of thing. And, you know, every, everything. I think it's it's fine. But applications now you sit around and you think that you're designing it where you're designing it like you're building a pipeline data comes in insights come out and that pipeline has to sit on stable ground at each Mm -hmm. and every step 
to read from this article there, there's an interesting scenario where they're talking about some of the opportunities, future opportunities. They're talking about in particular, um, like cars, cars communicating with each other. So it says cars that can communicate with each other will be collectively smarter and safer than any individual car inside one vehicle. A system of systems, SOS, will coordinate navigation and telematics while independently gathering live weather and traffic data from roads. Then a multi-vehicle infrastructure-level SOS will harvest that data across a fleet of connected vehicles, enabling dynamic map rerouting, automated emergency braking, right, and Dan, instant requests Dan, Dan, for assistance. Dan, yes. Dan, just stop. You write code. Yes, I do. Right. How would you write code for all that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, just, 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 just literally think about... You, everything you just said. I mean, it's it's mind-boggling. Right. Yeah. So 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 you'd sit around and say, well, at the very least, what I know is, as I'm moving through all this stuff, I can pick up this and pick up this and combine it like this and do it. You literally say, okay, make this simple. I was thinking like a pipeline. Uh, and um, you know, it's like I, I love the whole. You know, for some of these like, even use cases, almost as like that. That's a very like compact, casual way. To describe, I don't know, was it a billion dollar application that ten thousand people worked on? I mean, that's not that's non trivial. So, um, you know, I, I think we'll just leave it there. It, it's it's okay, but I, I don't. It's not one of these. Oh my god, that's such an insightful way to think about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay, um, I've got a couple more. We got time for a couple more. Yeah, yeah. I think we we just got a couple more to wrap up. Should be straightforward. Intel's Arc GPUs are going to be competing with GeForce and Radeon in early 2022. Kind of interesting, right? Um, I thought yeah. so. Alchemist yeah. is Intel's first serious dedicated gaming GPU. And why not? I think we talked about this maybe a couple episodes back. Yeah. Um, I think we did. Um, but Intel, they've been working to get into the high-end graphics card market. They want to compete with NVIDIA and AMD and Right now, as my son is um, desperately wanting like the 380 Ti uh, graphics card, all of the graphics cards now are completely impossible to find. Graphics cards that pre-COVID were 50 to 100 bucks now are selling for hundreds or even $1,000 if you can even find them on eBay and elsewhere because of this, this crazy situation with not being able to... Uh, to get these out. So it's actually a good time for Intel because when this market starts to straighten itself out, if they could be a player in that space, because their, their goal is the first quarter of 2222. Um, they've got this alchemist GPU that they've come out with. Um, and they're also calling it DG two. Um, and they basically, yeah. you know, they want to get this thing out there. They think that it will compete but what's interesting is the DG1 is like essentially a GeForce GTX 1030, which is ancient. That's an ancient yeah. low-powered yeah. card. So they're going to have to yeah. do a lot more in this space. Uh, but they're doing stuff with ray tracing, which is important. And uh, well, have- I, the, the yeah, I mean the current you know the current team that's at Intel. If there's any team that could finally do this, it's them. Why wait so long for this though? Like it just. That, I mean, uh, that that gets in. I'm sure you could probably write a book about the trials and tribulations of the GPU. Um, I'd, I think probably, the sh- if I have to think, the short version of it is that if you're going and building a chip, like how Intel's been building their chip, each chip they put out, they put more and more on that chip. Mm-hmm. 
And at one point, they even put GPU capabilities on that chip. And so, you know, the idea that you need a discrete thing that's separate was contrary to what a lot of people were trying to drive inside of Intel. You know, the whole thing is you just buy an Intel chip and it just does this stuff for you. You don't need a separate GPU from NVIDIA to do it. It'll just do it on the chip. Just do it right on the chip. Um, you know, but I, I think what's uh, interesting for everybody here is, uh, you know, there's been a lot of shortages of NVIDIA and AMD GPUs, you know, in the sense of they actually sell out and people right. can't go buy them. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, that ends up reflecting in like the cost. Um, and, uh, you know, Intel, when Intel really decides to do something, they tend to not have supply issues. You know, they do a pretty good job of supplying the market when they go and build something like you rarely hear of like an Intel shortage, uh, in that, but you know, you go to NVIDIA's website and everything's sold out and you can't get it and you go find it and it's twice the price. And, you know, there's a lot of funny things in there. Uh, and then, you know, the only sort of thing would be that it's another interface for gaming developers and the like to support, but Intel also does a very good job in providing software to people that help them do that. And, uh, I think, I think it's a good, I think it's a good move and I hope they do it well for, um, I don't know if I want to say the first time cause that sounds a little naggy but but like for the first time (laughs) you know but i mean if you think about it nvidia i would say has probably been kind of the leader in this space amd really close behind but it's really weird that intel has not entered this space the way that they're finally and i will say finally doing it right now so i think that it's uh i think this is really good and i think having another player in this space uh would be really great as well what's interesting is you know this first one is called alchemist they already announced the next like three or four code names for the chips that they haven't even finished alchemist yet but they've already announced the other ones which are battle mage celestial and druid are the names of the other ones so in you know 2025 you'll be putting a druid chip into your gaming machine yeah smart yeah um yeah and then uh, the last thing that I have for today is an article, uh, which is um, a blog uh, entry uh, called Episode 2, The Path to 5G. And this is from Amir Halim talking about helium. Did you get a chance to review this at all, the People's Network? No. Um, oh, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I did. They're I trying to roll yeah. out uh, helium's 5G they're working with Freedom Fi, which is a connectivity company that makes open source 5G devices. And Freedom Fi just announced there is this pre-sale waitlist of their first batch of Freedom Fi gateways, which is a connectivity device that will pair 5G antennas uh, with basically everything on the Helium network. And it's they're calling this the first generation of 5G hotspots. And that's kind of interesting. I... Uh... Yeah. Yeah. Because if you have um, a phone that supports 5G, you've got your Samsung Galaxy, you've got your iPhone, you could use these hotspots and uh, you could use them from your neighbor. You could use them from the business as you're walking down the street or in the coffee shop that you're in. And um, Yeah. I mean, I, I think this is, uh, you know, 5G was always, and a lot of these things were always meant to be um, multi-standard, multi-band, mm-hmm. multi-generation. 
uh, you know, anyways. And as we saw even earlier with like things like the edge uh, Q chip, um, you know, now all these things can go on a chip, uh, you know, together. So uh, I think this is a natural way for, you know, this stuff to move, you know, meaning if you're going and building a network of any type, I don't know why you'd build a network that would be protocol specific nowadays. That seems like so a bad I, so, idea. Yeah, so I, I just I just think this is uh, good marketing um, for what is uh, a natural capability that's showing up in the systems that are being built today. Anyways, uh, you know, I don't really. Well, I don't really uh, not to poo poo on it. I think no. it's 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 good. Uh, it's just you can expect that to literally happen with everybody unless something's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean like you go and you build the stuff and you're you're sticking a, a you know a chip or a board in there. It's got all the stuff any, anywhere on it. Um, and uh, you know so um, um, yeah, it makes makes. Makes a ton of sense. Makes a ton of sense, Dan. Mm-hmm. Is that all, is that all we got? Is that all the like? There's not. There's not more more stuff happening in the telco space. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'd say it's a hefty. It was a hefty amount. Yeah, I guess it's fine. Is there more going on that you know about that you can share secrets? Nah, no, no. No, I guess not. Yeah, I can't think of anything. I mean, that's the good stuff. There's more that's going on, but. And that's the good that's stuff. Yeah, it's true. All right, man. All right. Well, uh, if you'd like to hit us up, you can go to livingontheedge.show. You can send us your comments, questions, emails there. Jason it doesn't do a lot on Twitter, but he's there. Jason H. on Twitter. I'm at Dan Benjamin on Twitter. And uh, we'd like to say thanks very much to everybody for tuning in. If you like the show, you know what? The best thing you could do, pick whatever your favorite service is. It could be Apple. could be Spotify. We don't care. Go on there and give us a rating. Drop a like, as they say on the YouTubes. Uh, but give us, you know, give us. A, I think it's a. This is a five star show, Jason. I don't know about you, but I th- I consider it a five star show. A five well, star show. If someone show. doesn't give it five stars, then we'll find them. Yeah. But that's it. That's all we got. I'll uh, I'll talk to you again next week, Jason. Thank you, sir. Bye. Bye.